So instead of preaching from scripture, I'm going to tell stories from my life. Please, do laugh. <laughs> if everybody do that, <laughs> we have a problem. Well, maybe not. It's joint service. I tend to do that more for joint service. Okay. Let's see how we make out. We will do things a little differently this morning. Oh, first of all, I got distracted. Really what I wanted to say is it feels like we need to pause for a little while. I mean, I guess we did that for prayer. But, you know, there's something sacred going on when parents bring their kids before God and, and, you know, all their hopes and dreams and fears. There's something sacred. And then the kind of thing that Kyle was talking about is very moving. Uh, let's, maybe I needed a little bit more time to process it, so let's pray together. Father, we do bring, our, bring you our hopes and dreams, all of us that have children. We bring you our hopes and dreams for those children. Domestic, imported, we thank you for them. and We ask you to be at work in their lives in ways that we can try to facilitate but we can't control. We ask you to be at work. And we thank you for the way that you've worked through Kyle's ministry overseas but then also through his family here. And we pray, Father, that you would give us opportunities like that but, but actually more. We would treasure those opportunities, but we pray that you'd help us to be sensitive to those opportunities that you actually are giving us. That we could be an instrument in other people's lives. Your instrument in their lives as you speak through us and work through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to do things a little bit differently this morning because it occurs to me that you know, we've just come through a series of five sermons or maybe six on Haggai. And then we've looked at, um, you know, we listened to Ryan's sharing with us about how God has worked through his vocation and in touch with the church focus, the congregational focus. And we come through this special conference. And really, I think particularly because of the five sermons or six sermons from Haggai, there's a, there's a danger that we could end up rushing through things so fast, we never really have a time to solidify it. So I want to do things a little bit differently this morning in the hopes of giving us a little bit of time to solidify what we've been going through for the last couple of months. You know, basically a solidify a takeaway. And the takeaway could be different. You know, Haggai's really making one point, but he's got five or six different sub-points, and which of those is most relevant to you will depend on what your situation is and the challenge you face. I think his overall point will be relevant to all of us, if not immediately, very soon in our lives, and maybe for most of us immediately. And then, but, but which of the challenges we face, what particular dimension it takes, will differ from one of us to the other. And Haggai covers five or six different dimensions. So what I want to do this morning is to review the content of Haggai first, and then we're going to work our way through a five-step process. The five-step process for integrating Scripture. It's not just a matter of sitting here and listening, right? Because we sit here and listen, and then we rush off to other things. We rush off to lunch. We rush off to Chinese school for our kids. We rush off to the day's activities, to sports. And how do we get the Word into our lives? And if it's not just Sunday morning, if it's not just hearing a sermon preach, but if reading the Bible every day... Now you've got eight things to incorporate into your life. Or maybe a Bible study. Now you've got nine things a week. 
Whoa, so let's slow it down a little bit. And instead of nine a week or eight a week or one a week, let's figure out how God can speak to us, how God is speaking to us through Haggai. Let's pick one lesson for the last six to eight weeks. That's what the goal is this morning. So first what we'll do is we'll review the points of Haggai. Review his context and then the points that he's making here. Now, his context is a little bit different from ours. Next slide, please. Uh, they did hand me this thing to, to work, but I don't know, you know. I'm not technologically advanced to work a remote, so I'll have to just interrupt someone. Okay. The, when we read the text, the first question is always, what did the text say? What did it mean? Now, here's the situation they were facing, and then I'm going to describe how it's kind of correlated to our situation. Basically, the people to whom Haggai wrote originally, God had thrown them out of Palestine. It was their land. He promised it to them, but he, they, they sinned against them. They rebelled. Every time he sent a prophet to speak to them, they ignored the prophet. God finally said, look, if you, if you don't obey me, I'm going to send you out. And they ignored him for centuries. And God kept warning them. But finally, God said, I've had enough. You're going. And he sent them into exile. And now when Haggai starts up, God has brought them back. And when they came back, they said, we don't want to do this again. They lost their leaders. A lot of people have been killed. They lost their family members. They lost their land and their homes. They come back to a new country. And they, we don't want to do this again. We've, we want to obey God. We want to love God. We want to serve God. And what God had called them to, as part of their service, God said, look, I give you your family members. I give you uh, generations. I give you land and homes and prosperity. What God had asked them to do was build a temple where he could meet with them and they could meet with him. A place where they could worship together. And that was the, the big task as they came back. That was the big challenge. They said, we've got to build a temple. We're, we're going to build our homes. We're going to raise our families. But we've got to build this temple. Now, God calls us to something. But we're in a much different time period in history. You know, we get a building project, but building project is functional now. This is not what God is calling us to. You know, we have a building project so we can have more space for training our babies, for caring for our children, for raising our teens, for fellowshipping together. We raise a building up for functional reasons. That's not God's calling on us. That was God's calling on them. But God's calling on us is different. We're in a different time period. What God calls us to do is to take this truth that he's given us, kind of like Kyle was illustrating for the summer in his relationship, take this truth that he's given us and work it out in our lives. Work it out at the workplace, as Brian was sharing. Work it out through our careers, as Libby shared. Uh, work it out in our relationships, our family members. God's called us not to build the temple and to gather together and keep this thing to ourselves and make sure we got it right. God calls us to go out and be his instruments in having an impact on other people's lives. But there's a parallel. When they built the temple, that was their response to the work of God and the call of God. And as we take the truth of God, and advance it through our careers, through leaving our careers to work overseas, 
through our family members, we are still pursuing the cause of God. They pursued the cause of God and it looked like building a temple. We pursue the cause of God and it looks like bringing the knowledge of Jesus to people that we work with, people in our family, and people overseas. Parallel tasks. Different tasks, different stage of salvation history, but parallel tasks. Now, as they faced that task, they faced a number of obstacles and demotivators, at least three that Haggai deals with. And then Haggai came in in the face of those demotivators, gave them some motivators, at least three that Haggai mentioned. And we're going to work through these quickly because we've done it already over the last five, six weeks. So the motivators, the the task for them was to keep building, keep building the temple. The task to us is keep building the reign of God, the the knowledge of God around the world. And and the first demotivator they faced was this. They came back into their land, and it was no longer their land. Other people were living there. And God says, build the temple. And these other people say, no, don't build the temple. And they faced opposition. And they started building, and then the opponents came around and said, no. And they sent a word out to the emperor, far away, and the emperor's word came back and said, no. And they were forbidden to build because in the face of opposition. And in one dimension or another, we'll often face opposition as we try to spread the news about Jesus. We'll face maybe opposition from people who aren't interested, uh, we'll face opposition from people who actually hold the different ideas and oppose it. We'll face opposition from structures. We'll face opposition from individuals. We'll face opposition from our culture. Because there's, oh, there was a time when this culture was really supportive of Christian values, and now typically this culture is really antagonistic towards some particular Christian values. And, and the risk is that in the face of opposition, we will do what they did. In the face of opposition, we'll go inward and we'll say, okay, we'll stop. We, we, we can't face this opposition. We'll go inward. We're going to look after ourselves and our own thing. We'll look after our own families. We'll look after our own homes. We'll quit trying so hard. And so in chapter 1, verse 2, these people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Why hadn't the time come? Because they were facing opposition. And we could easily say, the time has not come for us at any given moment. And they faced a a second demotivator. It takes money to build a temple. It takes time to build a temple. And bear in mind, they were immigrants. They had to build their own homes. They were penniless immigrants. They didn't have farms. They didn't have land. They had to plant. They had to sow. They had to accumulate resources. They had a lot of competing demands on their time. You have planted much, God says to them, and harvested little. You you eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. It shows that they're struggling for survival. They're trying to keep up. It wasn't just the opposition. It was the challenges of life that were troublesome for them. Now, think about you and your service of God. Whatever it is you do for God. Isn't your life already full? I mean, isn't there 
just a little bit more studying you could do unless you're brilliant? Isn't there any, every class you take, every exam you face, isn't there just a little, you know, Brian shared last time about, for at least for a time, taking off the Sabbath and his grades went up. But there's no promise that if you take the Sabbath off, your grades will go up. Most, mostly if you study more, your grades go up. You know, talk to Brian. You might want to do that. You can, you can try that. But is it, I mean, I'm not, not knocking that, okay? <laughs> no, sure. Let's honor God and he'll honor us. But you could always study more, right? You could always work a little harder to get a higher promotion. And think about the people that dedicated their kids here today. If you haven't had kids, you've got no idea what it's like. You don't sleep for five years. You never have a moment's peace after that. I kept thinking when they graduate college, then you're free. And, and my friends with kids, adult children will tell me, no, 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 no. You're never free of worry. But there are no free spaces in our lives, typically. Unless maybe you're a single young adult. You're out of school because you've got no more exams. And all you're doing is working a job and you're not dating. And then maybe you've got some free space and you're not happy about it because you'd really rather be dating. But don't worry, don't rush it because once you start dating, you'll never have any free space in your life again. Most of us are just way too busy trying to do legitimate things. I want to look after my family. I want to build my home. I want to make sure my kids do well in school. And God says to them, you're busy. You're too busy. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, and never have your fill. It's not that they're greedy. It's just if we're too busy for God, if we're too busy to worship, or if we're too busy to serve, we're just too busy. Now, there's a third point that Haggai makes, a, a motivator in this case. We look at two motivators. They faced opposition. They faced the demands of life. We look at a, a third point he's making. And this is a motivator. And, and Kyle made some reference to it here. But how God, you know, all we do is share, but it's God who has to work in the heart. Take a look at chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, says the Lord. And in scripture, I am with you from God means I'm here to help you. And then notice verse 14. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Joshua, son of Jezodak, the high priest. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. And when the Lord stood up their spirit, what did they do? They came and they began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. The Lord stood up their spirit. And if you look throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, this is the key work of the Holy Spirit, is to stir up our spirits. God gives us his spirit to stir up our spirit. And what it means is this. In church, we can hear a lot about what we must do, what we should do, what our obligations are. And particularly in Asian culture or in any parenting, what do you do as a parent? We can tell your kids what they must do, what they should do. You need to study more. And there's an awful lot of obligation that comes out. And Confucian culture supports this notion of obligation, must, should, need to. 
What Haggai is reminding him of is this. And most of us have probably experienced this if we know Jesus. It's not just about what we must do. It's that when God touches our lives, it becomes more of what God has done and then somehow what we want to do, what we have a heart to do. So Haggai says, well, look, despite opposition, you must keep going. Despite the demands of life, you must keep serving. And then he says, well, wait a minute. It's not just because you must. Because you can. Because you want to. And this is his promise. That God gives us his spirit. So that the things that move the heart of God move our hearts. And we want to. We're not satisfied unless we do. And if you get too busy, or if you face opposition and you back off and you say, well, I'm not going to, and you notice your life begins to shrivel up a little bit. Your enthusiasm, not just for God, but for life. Your compassion begins to shrivel up a little bit. And God says, I've given you my spirit so that you have a heart for what I have a heart for, to motivate you, to move you to do these things. Then let's read further on. A third demotivator comes out in chapter 2. Take a look at chapter 2, verses 3 to 4. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? And this is a third demotivator. Not only do we face opposition, not only are we busy, but you know, for most of us, I mean, I didn't, look at Kyle's story. Do you know, if I could go to some country and see 23 people come to faith inside of six weeks, eight weeks? Three weeks. Three weeks. I'd go there every day. I'd stay there for as long as I was alive. And you come back and one relative, one week, one day, one relative, we'd all keep going. You wouldn't keep our mouths shut, right? Now, there seems to be this thing that often when we start out, God blesses us with a whole lot of fruit to just give us a boost and keep us going. But mostly, you know, if you go overseas for 20 years, you're not going to see 23 people every three weeks. It doesn't happen like that. And it's really easy to do what they did and get discouraged. They looked at the, you know, they, they said, okay, we're facing opposition, we're going to work. We're, we're too busy, we're going to serve. God's with us, he gives us his heart, we're going to do it. And then, they look at this little thing they've created and compare it to the big thing that used to be there and they say, wow, this is not worth doing anymore. It's just not worth it. So discouragement can set in for us as well as it did for them. So Nehemiah, um, Haggai comes back with a second motivator. Chapter 2, verses 15 and 18. And here's the promise of God. From this day on, God says in verse 15. From this day on, God says in verse 18. From this day on, God says in verse 19. From this day on, they, God said, I don't want your, don't bring offerings. You know, we just collected an offering. God said, don't bring your offerings. I don't want your offerings. They're insulting. I don't want your token stuff. I want you. And they gave themselves to God. And they embraced this big project as an act of devotion to God and says, now, now I will really bless you. 
from this day on, because you've given me your lives, I will bless you. Because you've made me the priority, I will bless you. And this is the other, mo- other motivator, or, or the second motivator, the promise from God that as we give him our lives, not just our service, but our lives, and then we serve, he promises, from this day on, I will bless you. From this day, from this day. And the final motivator is this. Chapter 2, verses 20 to 23. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, tells Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, on that day, not this day, on that day, Haggai lifts Zerubbabel's vision beyond today to some point in the distant future, some point in the future, when God was going to take everything in this world and renew it, rejuvenate it, enliven it. And he's going to take everything we've ever done and suddenly we'll see the results of it. And the results will be powerful. On that day, Haggai says, there is a day coming when these small little efforts you made in this small little temple will be great and will be glorious. And God is going to intervene. And no longer will it be us working to make small incremental improvements. It will be God jumping into it and bringing everything new. So these are the six points that Haggai makes, really. Despite opposition, keep going. Despite the demands of life, keep serving. Because God is at work in you. It's not just you doing this, but God doing it through you. Uh, Despite the seemingly insignificant results. Because God deserves our wholehearted effort and blesses us when we give him ourselves. Because a special day is coming when God will renew all things and make all things glorious and we glorious with him. These are the six points that the text makes. Now what I'm going to invite you to do, and we're going to spend a few minutes doing this today, now, while we're going to carve out some time to do this together because we've already covered all this content previously. We're going to spend five minutes or so together now. What I'm inviting you to do, first of all, is... Choose one of these. Okay. Well, this is what, these are the five things we're going to do. We've already looked at read. What does the text mean? Reflect. Uh, We're going to go back, we're going to go forward to the next slide in just a moment, not yet. But what is the text? Which of these six things is something you have to work with? You know, which one impacts your life now? What impinges on, on what you're experiencing now? Do you feel like, I mean, you would do more for God if it weren't for the opposition you're facing from family or friends or from your workplace? Do you feel just harried and harassed? You don't have the time to do anything for God. Do you feel like it's a constant obligation, not a joy anymore? Do you feel like no matter how much effort you put into it, it's a black hole? Nothing good comes out of it. Not enough good to keep you renewed. Have you reached the point where you're just tired? You want to just give God a little bit. Just give him a little bit to keep him quiet. Give him a little bit so he'll stay in the picture, but not enough to her, you know, to demand much of you. Or do you think that the future is never going to be any better than the present? God addresses each of these six things. Figure out, well, we're going to take a moment and we're going to look at the text and we'll figure out which of those six things really it impacts your life, impinges on your life now. And then what we're going to do with that is we'll work through the rest of the four steps in this process. The, the second, reflect. 
what does this text speak to my life? That's, the, that's what you'll do in the next slide. Respond. What genuine thoughts and feelings does this text evoke? You know how often it is? The preacher tells you what the Bible says, and you say, okay, that's what the Bible says, it, and then you don't think any more about it. I've got to do it. No, no, no. What do you think about this? Do you think it's really true? Have you seen it ever before in your life? How do you feel about it? Does it just make you feel more harassed or more discouraged? Or is there real hope here? Work with the thoughts and the feelings that come out of this idea of the text. Rest. You know, we need another R. It's not a great word, but we need another R to make it all fit neatly. Rest. Whatever those thoughts are, whatever those feelings are, don't stop there. Well, take a moment. Everybody's going to be quiet. Well, the kids are feel free to make noise, but the adults will be quiet. If you're an adult and make noise, somebody will smack you. Um, but take a minute to talk to God about what you really think about what he says here. And if you don't believe it, tell him. Or if you've never seen it, tell him you want to see it. What do you think about it? How do you feel about it? Take that to God. Now, ideally, we would do this if we had 15 or 20 minutes, and we don't have that much time. I mean, you can certainly do that on your own. The rest of us are going to get up and go have lunch. But if you're really faithful, if you stay here, we'll assume you're all faithful, and we'll think you're really highly of you while the rest of us eat. But at least take a few minutes to take these thoughts and feelings and bring them before God. And then hopefully you'll have time to assimilate it well enough to make a resolution. One baby step. If this is what God called them to, what is he calling me to? And if this is what he's calling me to, out of these six points, what one thing can I do differently this week? I can't do something different every day. I can't maybe not even do something different every week. But you know, for the last six weeks, I can do something different. For the next six weeks, how should this shape my life? So what we'll do in the next slide, okay, good, excellent. We have these six ideas. And then I'm inviting the worship team to come up and play instrumentally for five minutes or until I can't stand the silence anymore. And then we'll wrap it up. But you've got five minutes, maybe even a little bit more, to assimilate the points of this text. So fasten on one of these six points now, because in just a moment, you know, a minute or so, the projectionist is going to go to the next slide to remind you what the steps are so that you can work through, as a guideline to work through those steps. Okay? We don't haven't ever tried this before. Give it a shot. Well, no, I don't mean to put it so frivolously. Let's try it together. What is God saying to us? And how can it change our lives?